Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Jordan Younger, your host of the Balanced Blonde Soul on Fire podcast. Here we go deep on all things astrology, awakening, wellness, motherhood, channeling, aliens, and so much more. We have deep conversations. We go to other realms. It's a lot of fun. So stick around. Let's dive on in. I cannot wait to connect. Hello, and welcome back to the Balance One podcast. Today, we have a double couples episode for you, and I'm so excited because If you've been here for a while, then you know that I've been trying to wrangle my husband to co-host with me forever. And if you're new here, my husband, Jonathan, has been on this podcast many times. He's a fan favorite. He's funny. He's hilarious to be around. He's so thoughtful with his questions. And also, he's my opposite. So if I'm a little spiritual for you, he is my grounded counterpart. And today's guests, Monica and Michael Berg, are pretty similar. We were listening to their podcast, Spiritually Hungry, when we were preparing for this episode, and they have a similar dynamic. So we have a lot of fun in this episode. There's a lot of laughter. We also talk about love, marriage, compromise, being with your soulmate and your twin flame, what happens after we die from a spiritual perspective, especially on the perspective of love. And this was basically like a marriage boot camp episode. So Monica and Michael are the director and chief communications officer of the Kabbalah Center collectively they have written so many books they are spiritual powerhouses you've probably heard of them because the berg family brought kabbalah to the west and monica was on this podcast a couple months ago talking all things kabbalah michael is also a rabbi and together they have four kids so we got all of the juice from them on how to stay in a lasting truly loving and spiritual marriage especially with children. So Jonathan and I have a 10-month-old. We had a lot of questions about that. And this episode is really vulnerable. I want to commend my husband for opening up. And also, he's not a host, you guys. Like, this is brand new to him. And I feel like he absolutely killed it with his questions. He's so thoughtful. So I can't wait to hear all of your thoughts. And this had such a spiritual undertone to it because it was also from the lens of Kabbalah. So whether you are in a marriage and have had kids or whether you are manifesting that love into your life. This conversation talks about everything. We also talk about how to reclaim your own power and how to find joy and how to become a better communicator despite 
any way that you may have grown up. We talk about religion, spirituality, Kabbalah, how it differs from Judaism and beyond. Most of all, like I said, there's a lot of laughter in this episode. So enjoy and also be sure to check out our new TBB merch, which is live now on shop.dearmedia.com under collections at The Balance Blonde. You can also find all of the info on my website at thebalanceblonde.com. I'm so excited about it. You can shop our Celestial Club collection, the Not From Here t-shirt, the mugs are some bestsellers as well as the tote bag. I'm wearing the sweatshirt right now, Celestial Club. It's like our very own band sweatshirt. So check it out. I would love your support. It means the world. These were created for our podcast fam. And without further ado, let's get into this episode with Monica, Michael, and Jonathan. And this was one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. So I hope that you guys love it. Enjoy. Monica and Michael, we're so happy to have you here. This is our first ever couple and couple episode. Mm. And we've been talking for years about Jonathan co-hosting with me. So this is the first. He's been on a lot, but he's never co-hosted. Fun. It is. I, I actually really enjoyed listening to both of you. You guys have a good dynamic kind of banter between the two of you. And you're, you also, I think, use... Jokes. Yes. To... I love jokes. My favorite thing. Yep. And and don't get jokes started. I know. Pull out but, some jokes now. But we you're were... not the biggest fan, and it's funny because it comes out, <laughs> and I'm like, this sounds just is, like us. And yeah, she is for real. But yeah, sometimes in the recordings, because we were listening to your podcast, Spiritually Hungry, and we were like, they're This is us. a serious thing. <laughs> they're like us. It's so Therefore, funny because we you were be explaining serious. the love languages and Michael was like, you're going too fast. And <laughs> I was like, this is literally us. It's a snapshot of our types of conversations. I am yeah. a fan. I just, I think you're it has to be fan. really big funny fan. for me to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's start by saying all of our different astrological signs. So Michael, Monica knows I'm very into astrology and I know you guys know a lot being Kabbalah right. astrology. So let's go around and say our sure. signs. Virgo. Cancer. Leo. Libra. But I know you're on the cusp of exactly. Gemini. Exactly. Gemini. Thank yeah. you for correcting I him. Waiting. I didn't want to get yeah. too deep about that. <laughs> well, but we love a specific. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I, try, I like to say I have the best of each. Yeah, he likes yes, to say. Yes, of course. <laughs> so how does that dynamic work between you guys, Virgo and Cancer slash Gemini? Well, it's interesting. I'm really happy he's on the cusp because I like spice and I like variety. And is that funny? Like <laughs> spicy like, food? We've had so many conversations around this. <laughs> like when he does something that I think is annoying, which is rare, but I'll be like, it's your rising Capricorn. But because I just discovered that we thought his rising was something else forever. So oh, really, but the interesting thing is with Kabbalistic astrology, it's very much in the idea that you can transform and you can change and you can transcend your sign. So I don't feel like a Virgo. I've decided to keep the parts that I think really work, like being organized, being detailed, working hard. But then the other parts, being judgmental, being a perfectionist, those don't work. So I don't look at it as signs anymore. I think it's all the things we've built around how we came into the world and into the relationship and the marriage. Yeah, and what I would add to that is that maybe different than regular astrology, Kabbalistic astrology is meant to give us a roadmap of who we are and also the parts of us that we want to tra change and transform. So it's not that we accept, okay, I'm a cancer, and therefore I have these positive qualities, these challenges. Rather, okay, these, this is what makes me unique in a positive way, and these are my challenges that I need to transform or develop in a different way. 
And when you look at it that way, it's not just, some people do that. They say, oh, you know, what can I do? I, I hear this all the time. I'm a Scorpio. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Right? But the point is, no, this is information, but we're in this world to change all those parts of us that need to be changed. That's the only reason we're in this world. So therefore, in Kabbalistic astrology, we look, we do take a map of ourselves, how we were born, what is our nature. Then more importantly, the next step is what are the parts that you want to keep and maybe make stronger and better? And what are the parts that you want to transform? And when we talk about cancer, for example, my life example, I am by nature an introvert. I do not, if I had my choice, I'd spend all day reading, writing, studying. Good thing he doesn't have a choice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I do have a choice, but I've made a decision in life is that what is the greatest purpose of my soul? How am I going to reveal my potential in the greatest way? And often, almost always, it's in some ways having to go against our inborn nature. Mm-hmm. So change is almost an intricate part of the capitalistic principles, like at a core. Right. My father, who was also my teacher, would often say that if you had to take all of wisdom into one sentence, it is that you are born one way and you're meant to leave this world a different person. Yeah, because we know with astrology, all the signs have their pros and then the shadow side. And I think it's so true that a lot of people get stuck in the shadow and Libras, for example, were known to be indecisive and very airy and hard to be grounded. So it is good to think of it in the way of transcending and becoming all the best qualities of ourselves. Absolutely. My mother was a Libra. Oh, uh, really? Yes. On the cusp, though. Libra oh, Scorpio. Libra Scorpio. Libra Scorpio. Yes. <laughs> and I'm a fan. I told Monica, I've read your mom's books, God That's Wears right. Lipstick, was what introduced oh, wow. me to Kabbalah. And you see that. Yeah. It's in our living room. So I was explaining to Jonathan on the way here about your family and Kabbalah and the origin. So if you could catch us up to speed on that, just for everybody listening. I think More our listeners, awesome. definitely not me. Yeah, you Jonathan know. knows everything. Knows everything. I'll give a quick 6,000 year history. So <laughs> <laughs> the understanding is that this ancient wisdom has been around even before, before this world came into being, but that it is first discovered and spoken about and taught around 6,000 years ago and then really passed on from teacher to student, through Moses, through all the great spiritual teachers. So our view is that religion sometimes is a separating force in this world. Spirituality should be and is a unifying force, and that if you go to the root spiritual understandings of all the world's religions, and certainly all the spiritual paths, they're all basically one. So Kabbalah is seen as one of those ancient spiritual traditions, passed on from teacher to student for thousands of years, and really, there's been many steps in that, but the biggest one that as it relates to myself and my parents, in the 1960s, my father began studying it. In the 1970s, they began opening this wisdom to the world, which was quite revolutionary, and they had a tremendous amount of resistance and opposition. And in those intervening 50 years or so, millions of people all over the world have been transformed by this wisdom. And that's really at the core of what this wisdom is about. How do I look at myself, understand myself in a deeper way, and find the tools and the ways to transform myself into an even better version of myself. That's amazing. I have never heard it said so perfectly that (laughs) spirituality is something that just lives, it's within every religion, but religion can be so divisive. I love that. So were your parents Orthodox growing up? So interestingly, Mm -hmm. so my dad was born in Brooklyn, grew up in an Orthodox family. My mother was born in Brooklyn as well, completely secular. Yeah. Yeah. She was five generations American born, completely not religious. And then when they met, and often is is the truth, the meeting of polar opposites that brought out 
not easily, by the way. And when we talk about relationships as well, we talk about sometimes couples think you don't want to fight, right? Sometimes I speak to couples and, you know, we never fight. And for Monica and myself, that's a very big warning sign. Mm-hmm. Because if, you're, if you really care about each other, you're and not... And you're passionate about things, you're going to have conversations and sometimes they'll be difficult or they'll be excited, but it's necessary. I get worried about couples who never argue. Mm-hmm. I think you have to find a style and I call it spiritual sparring, but it's absolutely a part of healthy relationships. So his parents fought a lot, but they fought about things that they believed in and that they wanted to fight for. And it was in those arguments that they would get to another level in terms of the work, but also in the relationship. Mm-hmm. See, I'm just testing us to do the work. <laughs> We're love. spiritually sparring. Yeah. yeah, I like to think of it that way. I just love getting in the ring with you. You, you know what really I'm saying? You really do, especially <laughs> since we've had a baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, let's far. I can't. Yeah. Okay, guys, I have discovered that the humble olive tree has many, many ancient health benefits, which is pretty amazing because if you listened to last week's solo episode, then you heard my journey with the olive tree in Spain. I've also been a huge fan of olives since before I can remember, but I had never considered eating them as part of my health and well-being routine. So this brand that I've been obsessed with that you've probably seen all over my Instagram, California brand Wellgrove, is committed to conducting scientific research on the role that the olive tree and its derivatives can play in health and wellness. They deliver natural, effective wellness solutions through ingredients sourced from the olive tree, such as maslinic acid, which has a powerful anti-inflammatory property, which can help enhance post-workout muscle recovery. And there's another antioxidant in olives, which helps reduce muscle soreness after exercise. And that one is called hydroxytyrosol. You can try Wellgrove's plant-based protein powder, which also tastes amazing, which makes it TBB approved all the way around with the unique addition of maslinic acid and hydroxytyrosol and see how you feel. Visit wellgrovehealth.com and enter the code BALANCED at checkout for a 20% off discount and you will also get a free protein shaker. That is BALANCED at wellgrovehealth.com for 20% off your plant protein powder with olive antioxidants. Enjoy BALANCED at wellgrovehealth.com. Enjoy. Okay, let's talk about my favorite plant-based protein bar. These are one of the original TBB-approved products, and I'm such a fan, as you guys know, of Go Macro. So in the face of adversity and a fight for survival against cancer, a mother and daughter took their love to the kitchen, and Go Macro was born. Now they're spreading the power of a balanced plant-based lifestyle across the country with Go Macro. They are available in 16 full-size and five kids flavors, and they are packed with 100% plant-based ingredients to fuel your body and mind. Go Macro bars are made from simple, high-quality ingredients, and they are all certified organic, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, non-GMO, clean, and soy-free. If you have a food allergy or dietary restriction, they offer three delicious nut-free flavors, including oatmeal chocolate chip, maple sea salt, and sunflower butter plus chocolate, which is actually my fave. And they also have 10 certified FODMAP-friendly flavors so that everyone can enjoy. I've also always been a fan of the oatmeal chocolate chip. I don't go anywhere without having them in my purse. And they also have sustainability efforts. They are the only bars that are doing this, so they're making a positive change towards a better planet. 
Get your hands on a delicious plant-based protein bar by going to gomacro.com and using promo code BALANCED for 30% off plus free shipping on all orders over $50. That is promo code BALANCED at gomacro.com for 30% off plus free shipping on all orders over $50. Enjoy. Hi guys, my name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays, subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the papaya podcast and the birds papaya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. We used to be one of those couples who very rarely argued and not never. I think we've always, even when we were friends before we started dating, would argue when we have our differences and things that we know about each other. But having a baby and then having all these sleepless nights and having this child who we love so much and we have different ideas of how to take care of him, that's brought out a whole new level of we have seen a side of each other that we've never seen before in the last eight months. So it's a lot. I think when you say spiritual sparring, it really puts things in a perspective too, because what I get frustrated with her about is my shit. It really has little to do with, it has more to do with what I'm having an issue with or can't communicate or express. Because relationships are a mirror. Well, are you able to recognize that in the moment? I think that's- Absolutely key. not. That's yeah. the no. point. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's where you start because that's called ego. Mm-hmm. And that's ego's like, oh, I want to be right. And I don't want to go. And it's I'm feeling these things and I'm seeing these things. And I think when feelings are very uncomfortable, we tend to look to see who can we blame. And it's usually our partner. And then- later, right? If we give space and time, we'll be able to have a clearer perspective. In fact, Kabbalistically, we say that if you really feel very upset about something, to wait three days before you have that conversation, like if it's something big, and it's different, I guess, in a marriage, but to talk about that specific thing, because after three days, you don't have the emotions around it anymore. And then you're able to see clearly, okay, this part still bothers me. The other stuff I realized was just my ego. So this is the part that's worth talking about. And then when you practice that, eventually you'll need three minutes and not three days, but that's the exercise. I would love three days because by that <laughs> point, I would have Everything fully would blow forgo- over. forgotten it. Yeah. I'd add, I think Monica said something so important that being spiritual, which at its core is fighting against our ego, that desire or need to always be right, to always have the last word. In life, there are people who choose to be spiritual who don't choose to be spiritual. Everybody has that choice. I do hundreds of weddings. And the one thing that I always share at a wedding is the following. There's a book by Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's a great, great book. He says that marriage is a completely illogical decision that people make. Because if you look at the statistics, we all know how it ends up. More than 60% get divorced. Of the 40 who stay married, how many of them are really happy? You're probably talking about 5% of thriving relationships. So making the choice to get married is kind of a crazy, illogical choice. (laughs) Knowing that, I don't believe it's possible for a relationship to be thriving if both people in the relationship are not working on their ego. Mm -hmm. Because at the core, like Monica said, what what, what really puts the wedge into a relationship is the ego. And you really want to get to a place where your desire to be right, your hurt feelings are not the first and most important thing to be taken care of. 
unless we're doing that consistently, it's going to be hard to find a great way to argue and come to a reconciliation in those arguments that the ego is at the forefront. And we all have to accept that that's really our nature. Mm-hmm. That's really our nature. We want to be right. We don't want anybody to have the last word on us and so on and so forth. In relationships, that has to be, I don't want to say thrown away, but it has to be very, very much worked on in order to create a thriving relationship. Because at the end of the day, love is never enough. People love each other, but they can't live together anymore. They're not happy together. So of course you need love, but something else must emerge and that's friendship. It's the thing that we take for granted. And then you're just roommates. And yes, you love each other, but is it really a relationship? Yeah, so you talk about ego a lot, and maybe you could tap in to this, but for me, I feel it has a lot to do with unhealthy sacrifice. And you guys spoke about that on one of your podcasts. And from that stems resentment. And a lot of the time I'll clean up because she's a little messier than me and I'm pretty OCD about certain things. And in many well, I, ways- I don't know why you're looking over <laughs> at my way over here. <laughs> you could relate, okay, cool. In, in many ways it is for her I want to help you and allow you to focus on other things. But there is part of me that's doing it for me because I just don't like living in that environment. But how does the ego play in there? Because when we argue, I'm not trying to be right. I just want there to be reciprocation, I think, more than anything. Yeah. So I think what he's saying is he does tend to sacrifice a lot more than I do in certain ways. I think I've always said... Physically, in this physical realm, Jonathan does a lot of things for us. He does a lot of the physical stuff in terms of putting things away. And he's extremely helpful with the baby and does a lot. And I, on the emotional, spiritual realm, do a lot for our relationship and our family. Does that make sense? I think Jonathan is the type to just, he is a giver and he gives and gives and gives. Michael, what have you, what have you done? I know you're going to say yes. something. But what have you done to work on some of maybe your unhealthy sacrifice? Well, both of them. Right. I think the view of this, because by the way, every couple has this. I don't think I've ever met a couple. It's just a matter of degrees. And then I think the question has to be, you have to sit together and separately and be honest. You know, I'm doing, let's say, 60% when it comes to this making sure the house is clean and so on and so forth. And the other partner, in our case, Monica, does 70% of this. And it's never going to be equal. You're never going to be doing 50-50 in everything. The ego says, well, I just spend 70% of my time cleaning the house. She only does 30. I'm resentful. That's the ego. Rather than the true argument, which would be, well, I happen to do 70% of this, She happens to do 70% of that. I do 40% of this. She does 60% of that. If you look at at the whole picture of the relationship, not that it balances out because it's not about being 50-50 balanced, but rather I see the bigger picture. And therefore, I realize that my resentment around this one area where I happen to do more is really unfounded. Now, one caveat, there have been relationships that we've seen where it really was completely off balance, where one was just taking, taking, taking. The other was just giving, giving, giving. Of course, we're not talking about those relationships. This is the work, is realizing, okay, my resentment around the fact that she just left the room a mess, and now I have to clean it up again, that's ego, because that's not true, right? Because she, yesterday, did all of this, and I did only 10% of that or 20% of that. The ego is to focus on the negative in the moment and allow ourselves to get angry about it. 
I think that it's maybe hard for people to be able to live that, right? How do you catch the ego in those moments? I think we have to go a step before that in that I, and that's why Michael made, like looked over at me about the cleaning and all of that, because when I wake up in the morning, if I see clutter or dirt or filth, I actually get upset. Like it affects my mood. And I didn't realize that until we moved to New York City. I had never lived in an apartment before and nothing fit, four kids. And we had just moved, it's like our first, we don't live there anymore, thank God. But I woke up every day and I just saw stuff everywhere and I just wanted to escape that. So when I discovered that about myself, I shared it with Michael. And I think that this is a really important part of relationship is to be emotionally intelligent. So I shared with him something new that I learned about myself. And emotional intelligence is that they know everything that happened to you in your childhood. They know what your dreams are for the future. Like you share these things with each other so that you have more empathy. You're, you're able to offer yourself in a way that you couldn't because you understand their psychology, their trauma, their joy, what lights them up, et cetera. So when I said that to him, it's not important to him. He doesn't mind living in a house that's dirty. He doesn't mind, (laughs) not dirty, he likes clean, messy, but like, you know, he finishes his plate. He won't put it in the sink. It's next to the sink. It's not rinsed. I don't understand. (laughs) I never will. I don't understand either. (laughs) I get you, Michael. (laughs) You know, like if you open a cabinet, but then you close it, right? Like things like that. I mean, I can go on and on, but, but I decided long ago, I'm his wife and his friend, and I don't want to parent him. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's healthy for a relationship. And there's certain things that I have to let go of. So if his desk is a mess and everything is in disarray, it's his desk and that's fine. When we were first married, he would take his clothes off and I'd see it all over the floor leading to wherever he walked to. And I don't understand. Very, very poor picture. I was so confused 25 <laughs> years ago. And I used to, that first year of marriage, I was like, I don't understand. You took the shirt off, just put it away. And then I just got tired of my own voice. And I said, okay, I bought a chair for the room. And I said, this is your chair. Just take your clothes off and put it all in that chair. And then come Friday, just hang up the clothes. And then I'm not going to say a word. And that's been our, and it's worked. And that works. That works. That's amazing. And the desk works. And so there's no reason, because the thing is this, if he understands about me, that that scene, that environment really gets me down, then his impetus to offer even though it's unimportant to him, is grown. And he'll do it to the best that he can, not because it's important to him, but because it's important to me. Mm-hmm. And I have also said, okay, this is his stuff. Although I do kind of move things around for yes, him every now and then. sometimes. <laughs> Monica. All the time? Where did you, not all the time. Sometimes you forget your own things. And I'm like, you I don't know. It's are us. You guys are literally <laughs> us, but we're, we're reversed. Jonathan is Monica. I am Michael. And I admit I could do a better job of, doing my part in it, knowing that it does bother Jonathan when things are messy. And maybe I could put my clothes in one of the many We're extra... going chair shopping as soon <laughs> yeah. as we leave. Well, right. I will say Jonathan has system. bought like, system. additional hampers so that I have one in the bathroom and I have one in the closet and I don't always use them. So I do think I could do a better job on my part. Also, this comes to love languages. And this is something you guys talked about in your podcast recently. His love language to receive love is acts of service. And that's almost the opposite for me. I'm very words of affirmation. So I'm constantly trying to give love in the way that he best receives love. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? What's your love languages? Well, I think we agree they were all of them. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. all of them, yes. <laughs> we all love all five for sure. I think support was support. that. I don't know how it was defined. Words of affirmation. Yes. It was and words of you. affirmation, quality time, physical, physical touch, touch, receiving gifts. Receiving gifts. Yeah, so Monica had three of the four, I think. 
Wait, which one are we forgetting? The, I think it's that last one. Was there a spiritual? Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Yeah. Yeah. So words of affirmation. Uh huh. Is yours. Yeah. Yes. And then. And also receiving gifts. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm definitely not receiving gifts. Because sometimes I there aren't enough words. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you 100. percent I think quality time, physical touch. Yeah, you had the longer list. Yes. I just, I, the words, he has a few. And physical touch is more important, Tim. I've learned to be more like... A little bit more. But it's oh, fine. I'm so much better. <laughs> but, but, I have a hug. but that's the thing though, like with emotional intelligence too, when we first got married, I didn't even get a card. It just, he wasn't raised like that. It wasn't mm -hmm. something that he saw or a gift. And I was like, but that's, I mean, that I was. And I, I think that when you care, you take the time to go to the store to buy a card or a gift, you write down how you feel, it's those extra steps. So I think that everything, that's why it's important to have those conversations and it's important to even argue. But when you have empathy and you understand what it means to somebody, not just that they, it's their preference, that it actually affects you in a way, then you'll probably go a little bit more of the extra mile to, you'll remember it in a different way because now you're thinking about how that feels for him. Mm-hmm. But I, I would add, it's... You're it's, like, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally feel mm, that. I might. <laughs> I do. And I get that too. I think your family also didn't really grow up giving gifts. My family, we're all about the gifts. Like my mom, she loves to pick out something special for Jonathan every year. And Jonathan would always say, I really don't want anything. And we'd say, no, people like giving gifts. This is how a lot of people show love. I think it's, I don't know if it's just stereotypical, but I grew up in a Jewish family and you would get money for Hanukkah. We would just gift, But I grew up in a giving. Jewish family too. But <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised, by the way, when I was oh, here yeah. last, I was like, you're Jewish? Uh, yeah. But she not, not look <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, I we put I, that I, clip I, on I, social I, media I, because I said to Monica, I'm Jewish. And she was like, really? And I said, yeah, I had a bat mitzvah. Yeah, <laughs> but I am 50-50. So my dad is not Jewish. So we also celebrate Christmas. So yeah. Jonathan, yeah, gets that's, the Christmas that's where gifts. The gifts and... That's where the gifts kind of comes into play. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's a good segue to one of the questions that are down. So my mother grew up in a very orthodox, where? she had very, right off Fairfax, very orthodox Jewish parents, both survived the Holocaust, came here first generation, didn't speak any English. My mom was the oldest of four and had a job at like 14 and basically took care of my whole family. And I think she has trouble related to expressing her emotions. Her parents didn't talk about anything. And I think there's a lineage pattern with that that I'm trying to break. And that's been like extremely difficult to do. Did you guys have to deal with that also? Because... <laughs> You grew up with Orthodox well, parents. Yeah. I would say it's probably, I had a, it's a different experience than you. I think my parents were expressive, at least to us, their kids emotionally. And between them, I actually saw, I would say, a healthy relationship, a love relationship between my parents, which was very important because unfortunately, as we know, most, most people grow up in a home where the relationship isn't great or even terrible. But as it relates to expression of emotions, it's something that I definitely learned after getting married with Monica. I think it's also not to be stereotypical. I think also men in general have m more challenges in expressing emotion, certainly to friends, to other men, but certainly even to But they to are actually wives. more emotional. They just can't express it. Mm -hmm. That's true. One of Monica has many gifts. One of them is w working with men who are in relationships and giving them the ability to express their emotions more strongly or more clearly. Because again, one of the things that Monica always says, which is true, is that we all have emotions. 
And if you're not talking about them, then you're keeping them inside, building either resentment or disappointment or sadness. And I think one of the greatest gifts that Monica has given me, many great gifts, one of them is really getting me to both be aware, be in touch, and then more importantly, express in our relationship and now with others, emotions. So what I would say is, yeah, it's definitely a challenge for many men, for most men, regardless of how we grew up. If we grew up in a home where emotions were not as expressed, probably even more difficult. But again, if we're desiring a relationship that thrives, and for me that means that today I am more in love with Monica than I was 25 years ago when we got married, and my hope and desire and work is towards tomorrow even more, even more, the emotional, both internal intelligence, which is something we, we often don't have and we have to work on and learn about, and then expressing it to each other, oversharing, I think, would be a great direction for men. Because if not for that, you don't really gain the emotional intelligence that Monica spoke of earlier. And if you don't have that emotional map of each other as detailed as you can, it becomes much more difficult to be there for each other in the ways that they need you to be. There's three things I want to say about that. There's something called epigenetics. So I just want to give you some context here so you don't feel badly, perhaps, about not being able to express yourself, really what you're feeling deep inside. So basically everything that your grandmother, your grandfather, your mother, whatever they felt or they did, like if somebody was a smoker, then your body is affected actually by that nicotine, tobacco. It's in your body. It affects us on a cellular level, right? So there's many things at play here, not just what is today, but everybody before you. When you have this information, and and to Mikhail's point also, if you didn't see, I would imagine if your mother grew up not having that experience with her own parents, then probably in her relationship, that was also a challenge, not just as a mother, but probably as a wife. So what you saw growing up isn't really a model for you to follow in that way. So when you have all this information, great. You can now say, I'm choosing to be different. I'm choosing to to have a different way of expressing. And boys also, when they're growing up, they are given feedback that you should not cry. You should not be expressive. You know, if a boy's crying, oh, don't cry like a girl or, you know, don't, the, all of these things they hear and they're, oh, I'm never, I need to be this strong person. So I would challenge myself and say, okay, where am I with all of these things? How do I feel about expressing myself? Make sure it's something that you're really comfortable doing. If not, then there's some work there, right? And then decide, choose a different model that you want, you know, in your relationship and start to be that person. I worked with a couple recently and they have three kids and they needed help now. Like the relationship just got to a place where it's going in the wrong direction. But he understood that men should not express themselves. They should not be emotional. They should not say how they feel. So he had been holding things in and we had this session with them. And I saw them last night actually. And I said, how are things going? And she says, now that we can talk about emotions, everything's great. Because you need, it doesn't make sense. If we go back to what we said at the beginning, where's the friendship? If mm-hmm. if you can't express what you desire, if you can't share it or ask for it, what your wants, your needs are, then the relationship is never going to get to the place of where it ultimately could. This is so helpful. We always say Jonathan is the more sensitive one and I'm very sensitive. So I didn't think it would be possible to be with someone either equally or more sensitive. And it's hard, I think, for him to be so sensitive and to have not communicated like that in the past. Although... We have some years under our belts of communication, like working on that for you, but it's a hard learning. 
Okay, let's talk about my favorite skincare brand, which you guys are probably getting used to hearing about because I keep shouting it from the rooftops. Origins is the pioneering nature-infused skincare brand that has elevated gift sets that will surprise and delight everyone on your holiday shopping list. Origins creates transformative skincare with naturally derived ingredients to noticeably improve how skin looks and feels. Origins has a long history of commitment to our planet by reducing waste and caring for our natural resources. All of Origins' holiday gift set cartons are plastic-free, recyclable, and sourced from responsibly managed forests. And for every tree harvested, new trees are planted. To date, the brand has planted over 2 million trees around the world. So you can feel good about the gifts you're giving this season from Origins. I am particularly obsessed with their bestseller set because I love their checks and balances frothy face wash. It is even good for sensitive skin. I also love their active charcoal mask. And I love the Mega Mushroom Relief and Resilience Soothing Treatment Lotion from Dr. Andrew Weil. You guys know I'm a mushroom gal. And if you have someone in your life who loves to use masks and do self-care in that way, I would recommend the Mask This Way starter kit that has five different masks. You can get Origins gift sets today available at origins.com. They are powered by nature and proven by science. That is Origin gift sets available at origins.com. Let's talk about my favorite probiotic. Does your probiotic contain clinically studied strains? Meet one that does. Ritual Symbiotic contains two of the world's most studied strains with over 350 publications of human clinical trials. I love Ritual. They've been my go-to for a long time. They're more than a probiotic, but I specifically love them because not only are they certified vegan, they are also non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergy-free, which makes them TBB-approved. They have no fillers, no colorants, and no shady additives, but also they are a three-in-one, so they're more than a probiotic. They also have clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. They taste minty. You just take one capsule for daily, simple, streamlined gut support, and I love that minty taste. That has always been why they are my favorite. The Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. There's no more shame in your gut game. That's why Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash balanced to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That is ritual.com slash balanced. Enjoy. Tell me what you think. They are my favorite probiotic. It's also methylated for those of us who have MTFHR. Ritual.com slash balanced. Enjoy. I'm so impressed by you because you grew up in a very similar environment, but I couldn't even fathom having that kind of awareness towards my mo- I didn't even know it existed. It wasn't even like something that... I was aware of in any way. So how did, how did you know? Like, what, like, how did that even come about? You know, I kind of felt like as when I was three, four, I, I really felt like I came from above and I, and I felt like I came into the house that I came into. My parents loved me. My mom's still here, loved me very much. So it was never about love again. Right. But they, were so broken in in different ways. The relationship, there was a lot of screaming and yelling. And 
I just remember thinking early on that I need to take care of myself and I need to figure this out, this thing called life. And I think that until around seven or eight, I felt very much connected to something higher. I felt safe. And then we moved from New Orleans to Beverly Hills. And then I don't even remember anything until I was about 11 again or 12. And the two memories that I had were not positive. So I just became very aware that I needed, again, to take care of me. And then I developed an eating disorder when I was 17. And not being able to have access to my emotions and not being able to feel good about how I feel or good about myself meant death. I mean, I was starving myself to death. So I'm so grateful for that experience because it was not an option anymore for me to just settle or for me to just survive. It had to be that I'm going to thrive and to thrive, I really need to be able to hear what my desires and my thoughts are. I need to be able to feel everything I'm feeling, even if it's painful. And then I need to choose to be something else, to be something better. And I think that was the beginning of the journey with myself and really learning to love myself and to not just accept myself, but become my own best friend. Yeah, that was the first part of one of your books. I remember it was like, learn to love yourself. That's in fear is not an option. Fear is not an option, yeah. Yeah, we've been going over your books this week <laughs> and yours, yeah. The Way, yes. that one. It's so funny. I think I told this to Monica, but I've had that book for a long time. And then after I met her, it almost jumped off the shelf in our house and I realized that it was yours and you're both just full of wisdom, teachings, and such powerful wisdom. I was going to make a joke about the bookshelf being overstuffed, and that's why it fell Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, my God. There's also that. Like, actually, really? Jonathan just got it me a Kindle. Insane. I know he got me a Kindle because that's one way to make sure that we don't have thousands more books. Listen, book we're going to have a nice house one day with a great room where you could have all of your books on display. Yes, we dream of like a bookshelf wall. With a ladder. So many books. Isn't that great? With a ladder, yeah. yes. So I have a question. I think I kind of found my best friend, myself, probably around the age 26. For you, significantly earlier. How do you kind of provoke that for people? How do you go about the process of yeah, becoming your own best friend? I think first you have to be able to turn up the volume of your thoughts and hear them. Because what happens when you when you haven't done that for long enough, right? And your teacher's opinion is important, your parents, your siblings, your friends, then everybody else's voice is so audible and yours is almost silent. That's what happens over time. So now it's starting to raise that volume. When you do, you're going to start hearing things that you might not like, right? Is your thoughts, are your thoughts, your words to yourself, are they kind or are they punishing? Are you supportive or are you judgmental? And the beliefs that you have, are they yours? Are they true? Do they help you? Do they lift you up or do they put you down? So it's really kind of doing this life audit of yourself and saying, okay, these are the things that are happening. And if I really think this way, if this is my belief system and it's not working for me, of course my days aren't going to feel good. Of course I'm not going to be a manifester. I'm not going to attract the right people in my life. So put that then all on paper. I'm really a big advocate for journaling and see what it is that you think and what you believe the things that are kind and that are true and that are your beliefs, keep them. The ones that are not, change them. I and mean, we're meant to do this. Like people just go through life so busy putting energy out in creating a business, a home, a family. When do we create self? I would add one of the most astonishing things that I've experienced in life as it relates to relationships or really big life decisions that so many people 
decide about marriage, about work, without really, really, really asking themselves, is this what I want? How many times do we sit with a couple and, a couple, and we say, what were you thinking when you got married? The answer is, well, I don't know, you know, I was at this age, I met her, you know, people said, I, it's crazy. It's crazy. We make so many important life decisions and certainly lesser life decisions just based on external voices, not our internal one. And therefore, I, I would say what Monica said, you know, I often, when we do our podcast, I say she says so many beautiful and important things and goes over them quickly. This point is a life changer and it's one that is desperately needed in the world. I would venture to guess a very large percentage of the world makes big decisions, not being internally aware if it's coming from me or if it's coming from the outside. And if you think about social media, if you think about our world today, how many of our basic decisions, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to eat, are not my decisions, but I saw this person do that, or this person recommended this. So much of, of our life is external. It's infuriating for me. It's so true. He's really good, I think, at being internal and listening to his own voice and reminding me to do the same because I definitely get sucked into the whole social media thing and that's my career and I'm more easily distractible. And he's always reminding me what my goals are and, and to look up that's from the phone. And he's I have to compliment him so much. It's one of my favorite things about him because it's all day he's reminding. And I'm usually like, leave me alone. I'm going to do whatever I want, especially right now. Like, you don't know what I'm doing. But he's so good. He's so good at it. Yeah, I would add, and this goes back to the ego. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you a short mm -hmm. story. I was we were in New York. I was driving down the street, and there was there was a, a woman behind me, and there was a truck stopped in front of me. So she didn't see that I couldn't go forward, and she starts honking her horn at me. It's a typical New York yeah. afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then I say, and I can't move because the truck is stopped in front of me. She comes around me. She rolls down a window. She starts cursing at me, and I was paying attention to my internal thoughts. And at first, I was like upset. Why? She? And I'm thinking, I don't know this person. I'm never going to see them again. What do I care that she thinks I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> but that's the ego. The ego is. What is this person saying? What is this person thinking? Even if they're close, my, what is my mother thinking? What is my brother thinking? That it's so prevalent, even for those of us who are more aware of it, certainly for the rest of the world, but for each one of us, we're so outwardly directed. And one of the most important, what I would say, the fights of the ego is, no, I don't care what this person thinks, what that person thinks, what my mother said, what my father said, what anybody. What, what am I saying? Mm -hmm. And unless you're really developing that conversation and that listening, then you wind up all the time, all of us. Yes. I think that's true spirituality. This is a spiritual podcast and I live such a spiritual life, but I do care so much what everybody else says. And Jonathan knows this. I mean, my whole day will get derailed by what someone else thinks or what they say. And he was asking me the other day, why do you care so much? Is it your self-worth? And I said, no, it's not. I think I have a very high self-worth and confidence. It's what did I even say was the reason? Right? Well, what, like, what does it feel to you right now? If you, if I were to ask you, oh gosh, it's like I know what I said because this is the truth. It's it bothers me because I feel that there are so many very unhappy people in the world and hurt people hurt people, and I'm very frequently on the other end of that. Can we just have harmony and peace? And I think I come into the world with such pure intentions and this podcast and social media and everything that I do publicly and people just twist it up and I'm like, no, I'm a good person. How could that be so offensive? Does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So Monica and I often have this conversation mm -hmm. and I would say two things you have to just take as a given. The world 
is filled with many different people. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be, out of 100 people, the two, the five, who, for whatever reasons, it doesn't even matter. They're hurt. They're, mm-hmm. They had a bad day. They, they want to... Their lack. Their, their mm-hmm. lack. And if you're going to be public in any way, like my, we often have to... We do. Is we it do. going to stop? No, it's not going to stop. As a matter of fact, if you get more su- successful, meaning if you have greater positive influence in the world, more exposure. it's going to get more mm-hmm. and more and more. He always says to me, you should expect for you to have a lot of opposition. Expect it and anticipate it. And in truth, that's how you know you're doing something. Mm-hmm. If you're really shaking up the world, you will have opposition. You will have people that will put their hate on you, but you don't have to accept it as truth at all. That's That's what we have the responsibility to do. Every, I've gotten so much better. I mean, it used to really bother me. Now, it has to be really ugly. Like this, And I'm like, <clears throat> why? But even that, I don't lose sleep over it anymore. I would say my father's teacher said, I had a quote which I really like, and I often we speak about it, and I remind, he said, when you leave this physical world, and you come up, wherever, whatever that experience is, and you say, everybody loved me, that's the first ticket to hell. Because it mm-hmm. means you haven't done anything in this world. Wow. Like Monica said, if you're doing something important, you're shaking things up, hopefully many people will love you and appreciate you. But there's got to, has to be, has mm-hmm. to be that opposition. And I, I think that, that the spiritual rule there is that, you know, it's good for the ego to have a little bit of that. If everybody loved you, then could you stay grounded? Could any of us, you know, mm-hmm. would we really be as spiritual we need that kind of thing like okay you know i shouldn't take myself to, even though that that's maybe that's not even true what they said or that it was really ugly what they said okay but you know what it's humbled me in some way right yeah. you don't if you were loved by everybody it just can get to our heads very quickly and it's also impossible that's true and you know do you remember what you call it to me the gwyneth paltrow effect because uh, i love her she's <laughs> a great person and i dearly love her and that's the epitome of lots of hate, lots of love. And I know that she doesn't let it get to her because she moves forward and has had immense success doing things that are, for whatever reason, controversial to some. Yeah, no, we were good friends. And on so her, her you guys can years. attest and she's yes. awesome. She is confident and she doesn't, in my, in my eyes, let it get well. Yeah, I think what it is, I think when you believe in what you're doing and you are really passionate about it, then that's bigger than anything else. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly, at the end of the day, for us, that is the end-all, be-all. So anything that comes at us, like, okay, that's just part of the territory because, you know, we're all in, right? Mm -hmm. I would add one thing on the tombstone of my father's teacher. There's a phrase from the Talmud, a 2,000-year-old text, and it says, he was from those who were embarrassed by others and never said anything. It's the Hebrew phrase is, which means somebody who, and he was somebody who had great opposition, people did terrible things, said terrible things to him. He was always accepting of it. I mean, those wow. stories are so inspiring. Wow. And, so. and like Monica said, I think our view is that that one of the greatest ways to protect our blessings, and we all have great blessings, is to have people say all kinds of terrible things about us, negative things about us. And, and therefore, you get to, hopefully get to a state where not only that does not bother you, Actually, oh, I'm so good. Let, let this mm-hmm. be my protection. Mm-hmm. Let this be, but it doesn't bother me at all. So I love that. That's freedom. Yeah. That is yes. freedom in the what, biggest way. What bothers me about it isn't the actual comments, but it's more of how it's occupying a very limited amount of, you very limited time, and it occupies your thoughts more than I'd like because... I know how difficult, and I'd love to hear how you guys write books. 
because you've been working on books and finding time, especially with our newborn, is very difficult. It's not like you could just whip up 20 minutes. You really have to get in the right headspace. And all of that can be very distracting. I want you to find peace through that so that you create more time for you, for doing what makes you happy. And that's, I, I don't know how you guys worked through it, especially when you had younger children. Well, so two issues, one on time and one on not letting other external mm-hmm. forces influence. I would just... Uh, say that my mother passed away two years ago and one of the i've learned many lessons through that entire process which was really a a beautiful and powerful one for myself and for monica but one of the things that i always remind myself whenever something happens and it could be big it could be small somebody's doing something somebody says something and i think about it in those last few years with my mother there were certain people who upset her and i said i say to myself does any of that matter now Mm-hmm. Oh, of course not. She's not in this physical world. I believe she's in a world of souls. That is not only not insignificant, it just doesn't exist. And if we can live our lives with that thought, if I was no longer in this physical world, what are the things that would bother me? I couldn't care less anymore what anybody thinks about me, says about me, does to me. I'm not here. Mm-hmm. And for me, and it might be a lofty consciousness, but that, that's where I go. I go, I love that. Let, let's think about the real and true things. And, and death or leaving this physical world is often a very clarifying thought. Well, it puts mm-hmm. everything in perspective. So mm-hmm. that could be just your wake-up call, right? There's only so much time in a day, and then days becomes weeks and months and years, and then that becomes your life. So with social media, I mean, I, I just go on to check my page, like to see how, if I posted something, how that influenced people. And I'll look for three minutes in the morning and three minutes in the evening, and that's it. Because I can already feel after three minutes my mood changing and shifting. I'm like, wait, what, what's happening here? Oh, wait, that's what's happening. And I just put it away. So yeah. I think you have to really guard your time, really protect your time. And we've become very good at that. And I think that that is how we're able to manifest the things that we do. So uh, Monica said this in one of our podcasts that when you say yes to something, we often think, you know, I've, we think I've limited time, limited mm-hmm. mind space. The reality is everything you're saying yes to, you're saying no to something else. Mm-hmm. And that making that choice in life, especially, and I think, again, not, not in a negative or morbid way, having seen death up front in the past few years, it really clarifies. We don't have limited time. We don't have limited space. What are the important things? What are the things that I will say yes to? What are the things I will say no to? And knowing that every yes is a no to something else. Yeah. And this was challenging, actually, when I took it to this next level, because there are many things that we're going to want to do. There's many things that we're going to find meaning in, but we're not meant to do everything that we want to do because there's simply just not enough time. So then it's about being really specific and again, guarding your time. You need to challenge the way that you view your time and your days. I love that. You're definitely speaking Jonathan's language as he's always saying to me, how about you pick 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening to go on social media? And it always sounds like a good idea, but it's very hard for me. Why don't you just try it one day a week? Yeah, that's a good start. idea. Really good idea. That would make you very happy. It would change it. I think anything, I think the point that she's making is if you're making an effort towards it, you may find that one day a week initially is really hard and then you master it. And then maybe one day it turns into two days and it doesn't have to be starting tomorrow, cold turkey, I'm making these huge behavioral shifts. But I think a slow progression also works, especially if it's something that you find very challenging. Definitely. Yes. See, Jonathan's my words of wisdom all the time. He's, as you guys can see, he's very wise. He always brings me back to my soul. 
Because as I was saying earlier, I do live in a more ethereal realm in my mind. But then being on this earth is very hard for me. So that's the catchphrase of this podcast. We're not from here. I'm not from here. (laughs) Which brings me to a whole other question for you guys. You mentioned the realm of souls where we go when we pass on and where we were before we came here. So what are your both of your takes on soulmates and death? And will we be together? This is something Jonathan is very worried about. Yes. What is your take? It's a very important topic. Before we get into that, have you ever watched Curb Your Enthusiasm? Of course. So there's an episode of where Larry it's David... The joke's coming in. <laughs> Larry David, he's very offended by the term till, for, for all of eternity. Like people, you know, they'll death do us part. He's mm-hmm. accepting. It's okay. Yeah. But not for all of eternity. How do I know it's going to be up there? Maybe I'll find somebody better. That, <laughs> yeah. that was the joke. Yeah. But, it's amazing. <laughs> you love that show. Monica loves that joke. <laughs> <laughs> So Michael and I are going to start yeah. a jokes podcast. <laughs> a jokes podcast, yeah. yes. But as it relates to souls and soulmates, the Kabbalistic understanding is that two souls are really one soul. And that before we enter into this world, we're broken into two halves. And in the words of the Zohar, if they so merit, they meet The Zohar is the main text of Kabbalah. A 2,000-year-old Aramaic text, which is the foundational spiritual wisdom of Kabbalah. And that's the beginning of the work. And then the rest of the work and the rest of our lives with our soulmate is to reunify that two halves of one soul to one unified soul. Each one of us has our own correction, which means, as we spoke earlier, I came into this world with certain qualities and certain things that I need to transform, make better. That's We call that tikkun, or my correction, what the person I'm meant to be when I leave this physical world. If I complete that work, if my soulmate completes that work, then the understanding is when we leave this physical world, that soul connection remains, even by the way, if only one is here and one is not here. That, like I saw this with my mother, my father preceded my mother in about seven years before she passed, and she was very much connected to him. Obviously there was pain in, in the physical distance, but spiritually she was very much connected to him. So souls that are reunited as one should not ever separate. And then that means that when they leave this physical world, they're reunited. That's the general understanding of both soulmates. By the way, again, everybody in this room excluded, there are people who don't marry their soulmates. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. But for those... Very few do actually marry their soulmates. True. So then, because I know people Mm -hmm. listening are going to ask, how do you know if you're with your soulmate? I mean, I know my answer to that question. I want to know yours. I want to hear Monica's. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just, I think that when you first of all i think you have to work really hard to attract that soul you first have to become that version of yourself so that you're able to recognize the person it's not automatic right if the if the, the unevolved version of myself if i had never studied kabbalah at 17 and i hadn't gone down that road would i have met michael would i've seen him as my soulmate no right so there are steps to take before that but it becomes obvious that when you find that person you you are awakened to things that you never were before. You're able to do things that you never thought you could do. You're able to become something that you never could before. And what you're able to do together as a couple is purposeful and so much bigger than your love or yourselves. It takes a form of its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just add that some people have the false notion that a soulmate relationship is a peaceful one. Right, where like we spoke before, we never argue. Everything's always great. I'm doing my thing; she's doing her thing. If at the core of understanding about life, about our soul, is that we are meant to change, whatever version of myself I was when I was born, I meant to be a much, much more evolved, 
greater version of that. Then a soulmate relationship is a relationship that propels you in greater and greater ways to change and become that better version of yourself. If I look back in the past 25 years, there's no question in my mind that I would be a much lesser version of myself had I not married Monica and taken wisdom direction that the entire marriage process. And I the same, no question. We'd be different people living different lives. Mm -hmm. So it's often easier to see it looking backwards, but also moving forwards, that should be the question. Even before we get married, do I feel, do I sense that this is somebody who together we will keep pushing each other forward? One question has been burning, I've burning to ask. So you guys are probably, because there's passion there and everything isn't just always hunky-dory, you guys probably still argue about stuff. Is it versions of the same argument and they haven't changed over 25 years and it's kind of coming back to the same core things all the time? Or have you evolved to completely new arguments over completely new shit? That's a very good question. Yeah, I think that they're new. Again, the dish is still next to the sink, right? Those things. Less but so, I, less, but so. less so. And we're not going to really argue about that. I'll make like a, oh, you know, this is water. I'll, we'll be funny about it and light mm-hmm. about it. I think the things that we argue about are <laughs> this <is> water. <laughs> <laughs> this is us. <laughs> yeah, you can rinse the plate. I think the things that we argue about now are things that we really believe in or for me a big one would be if i don't feel like i'm being heard Mm -hmm. which isn't his typical but in this specific thing it's like what's going on here so our arguments are about things that have come up and they're important enough because if it keeps happening it will be a problem so we kind of get Mm -hmm. in front of it like this is worth talking about because i'm not feeling heard here and i'm not willing to accept that long term and I really want to know why you're not hearing me is there something I need to see that's more of what our arguments are about but we always feel closer after we've argued we Mm -hmm. feel more connected because of the way that we argue and that after the argument we do truly feel heard and we've come to a resolution Mm -hmm. I would say I would divide our arguments into three categories oh I can't wait to hear them I love this (laughs) (laughs) so the first is what I would say the silly stuff Right, I think we're at a point in our relationship where there are things that Monica does that would not be my first choice. Things that I do would not be Monica's first choice. But we know that in the big scheme of things, it's really insignificant. The dishes, being late for something, you know, those are no longer triggers for any significant negativity. We point them out, we laugh about them, we say them, sometimes we're slightly annoyed, but it's very clear that level, parts of our lives. Then, like Monica said, we work together, we do a lot together. And there are times that we just disagree, and that's great. I would never want to be with somebody who says yes to everything that I say, or I'm sure Monica would not be in that type of relationship as well. Very healthy. It's necessary. And when you have emotional intelligence and you really put your ego aside, those arguments wind up coming to a resolution in a way that's positive. The third category, which happens to us probably once every few years, maybe even once a year, but probably less than that, when one of us is really feeling either unheard, there's something deep happening. It might be something that I'm going through or Monica's going through. And in addition to that, she's also feeling that maybe I'm not listening to her as much as I should be. And either an apology or just more important than apologies. Okay, there's something that's that's not really working as it should. One of us has to step up. One of us has to change in one way. And even though those are usually the most intense conversations or arguments, those are the ones that we feel closest. They're the hardest and they're the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who steps up yeah. more? And what? You mean apologizing or bringing it up to the... Bring closure. 
I think we're equal. Yeah. We're both interested in solving it and connecting and getting deeper. Nobody's interested in winning it. Who would you say w- with us, Jonathan? A hundred percent you. Oh, okay. good. <laughs> I was curious. Do you feel that after having those significant ones, you feel closer than before? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's not, hard in the moment, but so much closer. Because, you know, that's not the norm, right? It's mm-hmm. really not the norm in the world. Most people, when they have arguments, and especially the significant ones, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Monica, I think usually people wind up feeling less connected. Yeah. After those and they're talking ones. about it seven years later because yeah. it keeps happening over and oh, over that's and over tough. again. No, we feel closer after. We always say that I, was awful, but thank God it just happened. Yeah. I, I think just the difficulty. I mean, no, sorry, I just laughing because I just remember. I, I actually, in retrospect, I really enjoy all the memories, all the, all the, like, the not great stuff that either we said to each other, we, we did to each other, not physically, but. Right. You know, like well, somebody was, asked me once, what was the biggest fight you ever had? We were giving a lecture, a relationship lecture. And I said, you know, I can't even recall that, but I can tell you how we made up because that's yes, what stayed with me. I love that. that. That feeling that I had after and how it was and what we said, that's the part that I remember. Yeah, that yeah. part sticks. We can laugh about some of the biggest arguments we've had. I've been pretty silly. You threw a salad at the wall. <laughs> oh, and there was that. avocado on the ceiling. And then, oh, and then oh, you had to oh, clean oh, it up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he had and to clean had it up. And I just watched him <laughs> and I laughed. Didn't throw it. Kicked, kicked it. it. You kicked it. You dropped the salad. Really? No, very impressive. This, okay, I got like a sweet green salad. It was just sitting on the floor. And I. You were so mad. I was so mad. I just kicked it. And then it got all over our cabinets. Oh, and then I had to. It was worse for you. Like, so on, much worse in, for On the corner of the ceiling. It was amazing. That's very funny. So I want to ask a final question really quickly. What is your favorite thing about each other? And then we're going to answer as well. My list is long. You're Should cute. I go first? You're so sweet. My, fa- my favorite, because it has to be one? Yes, I'll, I'll one, one or two. just okay. one. <laughs> my favorite thing about Monica, the fact that she always wants to be better, always wants to improve, both our relationship and herself. You, we was talking before about the arguments. It's often Monica is the one who says, one second here, there's something that we really need to discuss. And like I said, I know that I would not be the, any good version of myself that I am today if not for Monica's both obvious and, and not so obvious direction and wisdom. So for me, I think one of Monica's greatest gifts in our life, and really in the lives of so many, is the fact that she always wants to make everything better. She wants to make our relationship better. She wants to make your relationship better. She wants to make everything better. And that drive that never stops and only gets stronger is a very inspiring aspect of her. And I would say it's Michael's kindness and his joy, he's just his disposition. He's always just happy and tapped in and connected. And he's just, he's the healthiest person I've ever met in my entire life. And that was what really healed me because when we fell in love, I was anorexic still and just a beautiful person. I mean, he is whole and complete. And I think that being able to receive love from somebody like that is like being wrapped in a blanket and feeling nurtured every step of your life, which is unbelievable. Nice job. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, I would say my favorite thing about you is that you are always healing my inner child wounds. I am terrible at expressing my emotions, communicating, just so many different things that you are patient and you allow me to be more aware of and just have taught me a lot about my gifts, my strengths, 
and being more aware of my weaknesses. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, my love. I love to heal your inner child. Yes, it's hard to choose one thing. You asked the I question. Think, <laughs> I know. I did come up with that one. And then for a second, I realized I'm going to have to answer that. My favorite thing about Jonathan is that you have a very pure heart. You are so pure hearted, like a puppy, puppy soul, golden retriever energy. <laughs> and everything that comes along with that is so beautiful. So loyalty. And when we first started dating, he would always remind me, I'm not going anywhere. And I'd be like, really? <laughs> You're never going to go. This is amazing because I just didn't have that secure bond before in a relationship. And he's always right there and he always wants to be better and change and grow and evolve together and would never give up on me or us or himself. Thanks, Bab. I love you. Well, that was a perfect way to close it out. This mm. was so special with you guys. You're so full of wisdom and we love getting to spend time with you both. So tell everybody listening where they can find you. Well, you can listen to our podcast, Spiritually Hungry. You can find, follow my blog, RethinkLife.Today, Kabbalah.com. Where else and are we? Amazon Books. If we can plug Monica's children's book coming out Please. in October, you can pre-order it now. It's really amazing. Yes, right now, it in is. this and very inspiring. second. And we have it here. <laughs> the and gift we... of being different. Yes, you guys are always welcome back on. Thank yeah, you. It was really Thank fun. You. Really yes, fun. We enjoyed. Monica, you have a great voice. I just could listen to you oh. all day. <laughs> Thank you. You do. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. Come say hi on Instagram at The Balance Wand and tell me what your favorite part of this episode was. Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and send me a screenshot of your rating and review for a free Soul on Fire yoga ebook. See you next Wednesday. Love you guys. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.